Morning once again. Good stuff. Love to worship the Lord uh, in song. And uh, I just want to tag on to Jennifer's prayer. So uh, let's come before the Lord uh, once again. Father, we pray for this time. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that understand what you want to speak to us specifically this morning, what you want to speak to us as a church. And so, Lord, we, we give you this time. We pray that uh, as you move in our hearts, as you get our attention, that it would be for your glory in our lives. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in the book of Ephesians. We're starting to get through chapter 3, this first section uh, the, the, uh, remember when we looked at an outline of the whole book that the first three chapters are largely doctrinal, but it, very much experiential, but the last three, very practical. And as we're looking at this section here, we've looked at chapter two where God brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. We've looked at that for a couple of weeks and, and where there was this huge chasm between the two that now as he worked and as Paul is revealing this that we looked at in chapter 3, this mystery of Christ that we looked at last week. We saw that uh, he's revealed that. It's something that he called it a mystery. It's not a mystery that is unknowable, but a mystery that is not previously or was not previously known. Verse 6 that we looked at as we were wrapping up last week, we looked at verse 6 as what the mystery is, that the Gentiles would now be equal with the Jews, that, that there is no distinction any longer when it comes to a matter of salvation, when it comes to having a relationship with God. And, and that that was scandalous for the Jews. They absolutely grated at the thought. They thought that they were the ones in, in their eyes that, that God would only work through them and that for this salvation, for this gospel, this whole thing about Christ for that to now go out to the Gentiles and for Gentiles to come into equal standing with them was just unthinkable. They, uh, in verse 6, we're told that, that now the Gentiles, and that's us, guys, that this is the nuts and bolts of the new covenant, how it is that we can actually stand firmly on the word of God and, and make the claim, assert the claim that this gospel of Christ is for you and I. Because now, in verse 6, he says, your fellow heirs. Uh, remember, we talked about the ragamuffin child last week, where, where God takes, he takes the worst of the worst off the streets, and he brings them in and says, now, this is your brother, this is your sister. And, and, and that in that, uh, the, the Jews, they did not like it. They didn't like the thought that they had kept law, they had kept Torah their whole lives, and, and, and that they put stock in that. And now there was this shift in God himself, where now through the Messiah, through the work of Christ, through the cross, anybody can come. So he says, your fellow heirs, you're of the same body. And, and we're looking now at the formation of what is called the church. And it's not the building, we know that. It's, the, the building is a tent for the temple. I, I love to look at it that way because that's what's going on. So he says, you're of the same body. He says, you're partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So he does this miraculous thing and, and he actually closes this 
chasm between Jew and Gentile. He bridges it through the cross. Uh, He says, I've leveled the playing field. It's no longer here and here, but one body. So he unites these two. Uh, Remember, again, we looked at through having a common Savior, the Lord Jesus himself, and a common salvation. Uh, So that's the background that we're looking at as we're going to go forward in in chapter 3. I'm going to actually go back. And we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 1, and I'm going to hit it from a different angle. Even though we covered it last week, I want to take a look and, and, and we're going to trace Paul's life back as to what led him to say these words, as to what led him to take, to make the claims that he makes here in this first 13 verses of chapter 3. So looking back at verse 1, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. Now, if you have your Bible handy, you'll notice that there's a long dash at the end of that verse. That's significant, actually. It's, it's not just something that they typed in there, but what it means is that there was a shift. Something had happened in Paul's mind. We looked at the fact last week that he's mentally multitasking. This guy had the ability to, uh, to just I call it having a lot of drawers open at once. My wife has all these drawers open at once in her mind. I have one. I have to close it before I can open another one. Well, Paul has the ability to to have all of these things going along in his mind. So something happens. The the dash tells us, that long dash at the end of verse 1, tells us that something else had come to his mind as he was writing, and he's preparing to pray. He says, for this reason. If you look at verse 14, it starts with the same three words, for this reason. He's He's starting to pray, but then his thoughts are interrupted. And we trust that it was the Holy Spirit that was interrupting his thoughts because now he's going to digress and get into some whole new stuff that, that he wants the church at Ephesus, this Gentile church in Asia Minor there, he wants them to understand. So uh, as we look at this, uh, and, and the text will prove it out, you'll see that as we go, when he says the that, that I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that perhaps it triggered something that he was really aware of. Have you ever known someone who was in jail uh, and perhaps someone who was in jail for trumped up charges? I, I, I think in terms of the people that knew and loved Paul in that day, they would have great concern. He had been in trouble now for a few years uh, as you look back and you trace his life, we're going to trace it back through Acts chapter 28, so you might want to uh, turn to that section and, and hold your place there. We're going to get there in a minute. But he was aware that his brothers that knew him, that loved him, they were longing for him to be released. That Picture it, folks. They're thinking Paul would be better off out here. When Paul says, I am a prisoner... He says, I'm, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I'm a prisoner of Christ. So as we looked at this last week, we went through Acts chapter 22, where Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. I'm not going to go there again, but that sets the groundwork for going forward from there with this morning's study. In Acts chapter 23, after, after Paul was arrested, we, we see that he went under heavy guard 470 soldiers to guard this one guy, and they took him down to the coast to a place called Caesarea Maritima. That's where he would spend two years 
uh, and they would repeatedly interrogate him, but never really make any decisions about his case. Uh, so they take him down there to this in Caesarea Maritima. He's actually he's a, a, he's confined to Herod's palace. Uh, I remember Stacy and I went to this place when we were in Israel, and what a gorgeous city that would have been. It was, a, a, it was just a spectacular city. Herod, the great builder, the great architect, had built this beautiful city that extends partially out over the Mediterranean Sea. And the ruins there are spectacular. But to look at it as it would have been in the first century, this was a spectacle. It was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful city. And so Paul is taken down there because the, the, the leaders like to lodge there. They, this was their beach house, but it was a whole lot more than a house. So he spends two years down there. And he, he, at that point, he concludes essentially that justice delayed is justice denied. He has to appeal to Rome. He has no choice at this point in his own mind. He could have gotten off. We, we see that in the text. Uh, but in his own mind, he thinks, you know, I'm a Roman citizen and these guys, the, the Jews, just can't seem to make up their mind. They keep interrogating me, but not coming back with anything definitive. And so he appeals to Rome. That's where we come in with the story this morning. The narrative in Acts chapter 28 tells us that Paul, he arrives in Rome after a harrowing voyage across the Mediterranean Sea. You can read about it in Acts chapter 27 all the way through uh, the middle of chapter 28, which is where we're going to pick up. In 28.16, we see that uh, Acts 28.16, now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul must have Evidently, he gained favor with a number of Roman officials that, that he was allowed to, to be in Rome. He was still under arrest, but they allowed him to be under house arrest. He was chained to a Roman guard. Could have been because he saved their bacon on the trip. I mean, if you read back through that section in Acts, the, the sea voyage, he was used significantly in that. But the point is, is that he, they, they take the prisoners, they give them to the captain of the guard, but they take Paul and the guy that he's chained to, and they separate him off. So he has favor with the people, even though he, his case has not been decided, it won't be decided for some time. In uh, 2817, it says, and it came to pass that after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they'd come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, for this reason, therefore I have called you to see you and to speak to you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So there's Paul under house arrest, this is only three days in. <laughs> he's already getting right at it. He, he, he's there in Rome for three days. He calls this meeting with the Jews and he begins now to lay the groundwork for evangelizing them, for bringing the gospel of Christ to them, this mystery of Christ. And we'll see that as we go along. But the question occurs to me, guys, is that would Paul have done this if he was a prisoner of Rome? 
Because in Ephesians 1 or 3, uh, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He could have had his eyes fixed on his circumstances. I mean, he could have had an attitude of house arrest. Are you kidding me? I haven't done anything wrong. And he could have been really upset about that. And, and, and look, I, what do you mean I'm not free to move around? I, I, I have to fulfill my ministry. Don't you know who you're talking to? I am the Apostle Paul. I mean, he could have done any number of things to kick against the circumstances that he was in. But Paul knew that his life belonged to Jesus. He knew that if Jesus didn't want him in jail, he wouldn't be in jail. He knew that not just intellectually, folks. He knew that experientially. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas, they're in a Philippian jail. They had really kind of aggravated the people there. We'll go into the whole story, but they had ended up being beaten with rods, Paul and Silas. They're evangelizing in Philippi, and they get thrown into jail. In Acts chapter 16, uh, 25, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Interesting. Uh, again, there's that attitude of accepting the circumstances they were in. They're singing, they're singing praises. They're, they're just having a good time in their cell. Uh, and the prisoners were listening to them. It says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison, prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's chains were loosed. How convenient. I don't see that as being because of the earthquake. I see it being because of the sovereignty of God intervening in their affairs, demonstrating to Paul, you know what? You're not going to be in jail if I don't want you in jail. He ended up telling them to stick around. uh, And the whole Philippian jailer and his whole family was saved and all of that. Great story there. But the point is, Paul knew here in Rome... That if God wanted him in jail, if he wanted him in prison, if he wanted him chained to a guard, that if God wanted to change that, he could. He had seen it happen before. But he says here, for the hope of Israel, I'm bound with this chain. Very similar to what he says in Ephesians chapter 3 when he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Uh, chapter 28, verse 21, and they said to him, we neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, he's talking to the Jews here, uh, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, he's talking about Christians, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So the Jews haven't heard about Paul, they haven't had a report on his troubles and who he was, but they had certainly heard about the church. And they're curious. They want to understand what's going on. And so they schedule a time to meet with him. It says in verse 23, so that when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom uh, he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. I love this part. Persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken. Some disbelieved. I look at this and I marvel. You think Paul's sentences are long? Uh, He goes all day, from morning until evening, reasoning with them from the word of God as to this Jesus. And, and, And it says that they're divided there. Some believe, some don't. And uh, that reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, at verse 34. He says, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. 
What does the sword do? It divides. Very often when we share Christ with people in our sphere, the response is, there's no way that you can sit on the fence. There really is no fence, folks. You can't. You have to choose. So uh, when Jesus said that, as Paul was laying these things out, he knew that not everyone would believe, that not everyone would come to faith. But he also knew that it, that's not his job to figure out. His calling was to be faithful in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, also to the Jews. And, and, and when, he was, when he was called on the road to Damascus, that, that he was told then that you will bring, you will bring my word to Israel and to the Gentiles and to kings and rulers, that, that he would suffer many things for Jesus' sake. Verse 25, the first part here, it says, so when they didn't agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Now, uh, as Luke is writing this, he's looking ahead to what Paul's about to say. Uh, they haven't departed yet, but they will. And Paul now quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, the Holy Spirit uh, in verse 25 again, he says, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will not hear, you will hear and will not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. He's talking about, and you guys, when I talk about Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, he's talking about spiritual hearing. You might hear, but unless you have spiritual hearing, you're not going to understand. You might see, but unless you have spiritual vision, you're not going to see. You're going to be blind to the things of God. He says, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So Paul quotes this passage from Isaiah to these Jews that are with him. Some are with him to this point, some are not. Uh, they're beginning to split over the things that he's saying. Verse 28, though, is telling. He says, therefore, this is Paul speaking, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Remember when he was arrested, when he said the word Gentiles, what happened there in Jerusalem, and the crowd exploded tearing their clothes and throwing dirt in the air, and they wanted to literally dismember him when that uh, came about. But he says, he finishes this statement, he says, and they will hear it. In other words, this isn't optional for me, guys. The gospel has gone to the Gentiles. They are going to hear it. If I have anything to do with it, they will hear that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that now anyone, does, you don't have to be Jewish, anyone can come. It says in verse 29, and when, they, when he had said these words, the Jews departed, they left, and had a great dispute among themselves. So he shares the mystery of Christ with these Jews. He doesn't say that, but it's essentially what he's saying. The mystery of Christ is that the gospel was now open for anyone who would come. So God has united all who would come by faith. That, that if you put your trust in Jesus, that you can become a member of this wonderful new entity called the church. We're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come because he talks a lot about the church, the corporate body of Christ. 
Paul doesn't say, wait, come back. Let me rephrase that. Let me, let me soften that a little bit. No, he doesn't know. He doesn't do that because he knew in his own heart, he was convinced of these things. And he also knew that not to take a side is to take a side. Not to act is to act. He was convinced in his own mind. They will hear it. He's saying, that's what my life is about. It doesn't matter if I'm in jail or not. He lets them wrestle with the word of God. Very often, folks, God lets us wrestle too. Are you wrestling this morning with the word of God? Are you wrestling over some truth that you've seen? Are you wrestling over the disposition of your soul? Give you an opportunity to respond to that in a little bit. Finishing up here in Acts 28 says that uh, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbade him. So he's given free reign. He has favor in the eyes of the Romans, even though he's under house arrest and he is able to fulfill the ministry that God had given him. Uh, Now remember, he says he's a prisoner of Christ. He says, I'm imprisoned. I want to look at three things that he's imprisoned for. I'm imprisoned by the will of God. This isn't some random mistake. My circumstances, it's not like God woke up one morning and went, oh, Paul's in prison. No, he understands that this is something that is part of God's divine plan for him. He says, I'm in prison to continue to reach out to the lost. And he is. He's, he's, he's reaching out to the Jews. He's reaching out to all who come to him. He's reaching out to the Praetorian guard. In Philippians chapter four, we see that he says, all of the saints greet you. As he's closing out that letter to the church at Philippi, he says, all of the saints, saints greet you, uh, especially those of Caesar's household. As they would chain him to these guards, as they would, he was surrounded now by the Romans, they began to convert to Christ. They began to understand that this gospel is not just for Jews, it's for them too. And that they themselves began to be, to respond to the grace of God being poured out. <laughs> they, uh, he, he says, I'm in prison to continue to fulfill this ministry that God has given me. So he's under house arrest, but in that, you got to understand, and we know well these days what that looks like. We know that our lives have been interrupted by this pandemic and all of that. doesn't matter which side you fall on on that. There are varying opinions about all that. But one thing we could all agree on is that our lives got way interrupted back in March when this whole thing broke loose. So Paul understands that his life has been interrupted. He understands that he can't travel. So what does he do? He doesn't see his circumstances as being a hindrance to the ministry that God had given him. He begins to write. He writes letters to different churches that he had had a hand in planting. He writes a a, a letter to the church at Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians. He wrote a letter to Ephesus. That's the letter we're studying. It's why he wrote that letter. He couldn't travel to these churches that he had made a habit of visiting as he traveled about the empire. He wrote a letter to the church at Colossae. He wrote a letter to a guy by the name of Philemon. All of these are part of what we have in our New Testament. And had Paul's life not been interrupted, the question remains, would we have these letters? It was part of God's 
divine plan, part of the manifold wisdom of God, as we look at, as we're going to go further in the text this morning. So the point was God was using Paul's circumstances. His life was interrupted for God's purposes to be worked out, for God's kingdom to be enlarged, and he was using it for his own glory so that the name of Christ could be known. How's it going, guys? How's it going in this lockdown, in this thing where our lives have been interrupted? How's it going with fulfilling the ministry? Maybe that's just a ministry to your family, and I don't mean just to minimize. I'm saying maybe that's just to the person that's next to you. Maybe the Lord's put some new ways to serve him on your heart. I've been blessed in seeing ways that the people in our church are reaching out in ways that they had no concept of prior to this. As our lives have been interrupted, do you see that as a hindrance to what God wants to do? Or or do you embrace that as saying, God knows about this. He's allowing this. Is there something that I need to do in responding to this? I take great encouragement from the Apostle Paul. He had tough circumstances. He's going along one day in Jerusalem. The next day he's in jail. The next day he spends two years at Caesarea Maritima. And now he's gone off to Rome and he's going to spend two years there chained to a guard. It doesn't stop him. As a matter of fact, we see that it was part of God's plan all along. And that's how the gospel would go out in far greater measure than he could have done if he was personally traveling about. We benefit from the writings that Paul did while he was there in Rome today. Countless millions down through the ages have benefited from the fact that he was willing to adapt to the circumstances that he found himself in and be used in a a powerful, powerful way by God. In verses back in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 2 through 13, uh, it's interesting, in, in the original language in Greek, it's, it's another one of those long sentences that we looked at that in chapter one, where Paul, it's like he sucks in his breath and he lets out this long sentence. And it, it, I love the way that that is linked together as he talks about the blessings that we have. It, well, in verses two through 13, it's a similar deal that it's one long sentence. He's reminding them of what is available to them in Christ. And by Uh, way of application, what's available to us. He says, I didn't get this stuff on my own. I didn't make it up. It's by divine revelation. He says, it's a mystery. This is new. It's not unknowable, but this is something that wasn't known before. So as we look at this, as we get into the text uh, again, in Ephesians 3, I'll just read verse 6 again, even though we're not going to stop there. It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. This is the mystery of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Again, I want to take a look at this. We went through this last week, but I want to hit it from a different angle. And I want to look at some things here. The first thing I want to note is he says, I became a minister. We looked at that word, diakonos, last week, where he's talking about not I'm the apostle Paul. He says, I'm, I'm a servant. This is a table waiter term. It's not something that's a lofty title. He says, I became a minister. How? I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. And Paul didn't make himself a minister. It was something that God did. He understood that he didn't choose to become an apostle. 
It was solely by God's grace. And so in that, we see that ministry should never be looked upon as a profession or a job. I'm not here because I was looking for a job. I'm here because my wife and I are confident in the way that the Lord aligns circumstances for us to come into this body is because God made it very clear to us that he was calling us here. He sees this as, as this calling is, is that he's fulfilling God's call. This isn't a hindrance to it as he's there in Rome. It's very clear later in the epistle here that God calls men to be pastors in churches. We'll look at that when we get to Ephesians chapter four. But the point is here is Paul saying, this is not something I did. This is something God did. I'm not a hireling. As Jesus spoke of, you know, he says, he talks about the hireling, the, the person that comes in another way to the body. He says, no, I, I, and I, Lord, I, I, I pray, guys, I pray that I would never have the heart of a hireling. I want to have the heart of a servant. I want to have the heart of a shepherd. I want to have the heart that protects our people, that feeds our people, all of those things that shepherds do. And I pray that God would equip to do that. But in a broader term, or broader sense here, guys, we see that we use this as, this word servant, that we all are ministers. We all are called to serve as God leads in our lives. So when verse 7 speaks of the effective working of his power, what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to fulfill the calling that he's given us. Uh, the word there is dunamis. Uh, I've heard this. I've heard guys uh, talk about this word before over the years, and, and they're kind of split. I know which way I fall. Some will say that this is the same word we get for dynamite, but it's not explosive power. That just to me, in my mind, it just seems very messy. <laughs> But, but truly, I think that what this word more accurately translates as is dynamic. There's a spiritual dynamic because it's a focused power. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us to focus our energies on the ministry he's called us, called us to, that dynamic comes into play. In context, Paul's looking back. He's saying, God called me. He empowered me. He anointed me as an apostle for this ministry to the Gentiles. He didn't look down his nose at that. He counted it a privilege to have this ministry, to be able to serve God through reaching the Gentile world. Verse 8, he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We looked at the first part of, of verse 8 last week uh, when he says to me, we, we looked at Paul's personal estimate of himself that he was the least, uh, and, and we're not going to go there again, but he says that I should preach. Literally, this word translates a bearer of good news. That's what the word preach or preacher is, is a bearer of good news. The gospel, the word gospel means good news. So as he preaches the, the unsearchable riches of Christ, he's preaching the gospel. That's what this means. When he talks about unsearchable riches, I, I like the popular acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that's good. But in Romans chapter 11, Paul the apostle writes here, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul had an 
accurate view of God. You're not going to always figure him out. You're not going to always understand. You're not going to always know that, you know, you're going to know the stuff that he wants you to know, but you've got to be in a place where you're trusting that God has this. As I look around, I look at the circumstances that we're in. I look at the craziness that's going on. I I tell you what, guys, I have a settled peace when it comes to this, because I know that if I don't understand it, I know that God's ways are not my ways. His his thoughts are not my thoughts. They're beyond my finding out. It's what we're told in the book of Isaiah. I understand that. And I'm, I'm absolutely willing to let him be God. That's what Paul's saying here. The unsearchable riches of Christ that, that the gospel had until now been unsearchable. You could not figure, you couldn't get ahead of God on this. In context to that, in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, he says, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's the mystery again. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So to those who were in the greatest spiritual poverty, he eloquently proclaims the availability of inexpressible wealth. That's the point. Verse 9, and to, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. This is the stuff that puts the new in New Testament, new covenant. This is why Paul did what he did everywhere he went. Not a prisoner of Rome, not a prisoner of Nero, but a prisoner of Christ. In this place, he, he preached, he shared the good news to the lost, and he taught those who already belong to Christ. He, both of those are true. We preach to the lost. We teach those who have come to know Christ, those who understand that they are now part of the family because we want to grow in our relationship with him. This is why three days in, he wasn't, he was already bringing the gospel to those that were in Rome. He had to get this ultimate truth out. He couldn't do anything but fulfill the ministry that God had given him, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. It was as though he was saying, bring it, guys. I'm going to do this. This gospel, as he said there in Acts 28, it will be given. No debate, no question, settled issue in my life. I am going to do what God has called me to do. This truth, it was not only facts, but it was instruction for how to live a life that's worth living. That's the point. That's the application for you and I. We can live well in tough circumstances. This is part of the how to do that. Verse 10, he says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God that means many-faceted, uh, might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. It was hidden. It now is made known, this gospel, to men and also to the angelic host. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that the angels long to understand the things that are revealed to us, that, that they peer down and they look and they marvel at the work that God does in us. And as we express that, that they're watching, that they're looking on. I believe that's the best interpretation of this particular verse here. 
But looking at this, it was the manifold wisdom of God externally in Paul's life that allowed him to be carted off to Rome. The manifold, the, the many faceted, have you ever been in a place where you get out to the end of a trial or you get out to the end of a situation or you, you're in a place where you've been going through something you're wanting to understand and then all of a sudden it's like you have this aha moment? That's because the manifold wisdom of God has been at work in your life. Paul understood that it was the manifold wisdom of God that had allowed him to go through this whole thing that brought him to where he was today, sitting there under house arrest in a, in a, a, a chain to a Roman guard, that that was what God wanted to do. That's how God positioned him to fulfill his ministry. He didn't see it as a hindrance. He saw it as part of the picture, part of the plan. But it was the manifold wisdom of God also uh, internally that gave him the insight to see God working through his circumstances because he understood. He understood that God's wisdom is not the same as man's. I've said many times laughingly and, and in my prayers and, and to you guys, I wouldn't have done it that way. I don't have manifold wisdom. If I have any aspect of that, it's because God has given it to me. And, and, and folks, we've got to understand, we've got to see God working through his wisdom which is, it's unsearchable to us in many ways, but it's his wisdom at work in these days. He knows what's going on in the world around us. And I don't want to minimize anyone's pain. I don't want to minimize the difficulty. We saw this morning these people in Africa that are literally at the point of salvation, hunting for rats to, to have food. We, we, we see that there is great difficulty going on. And I'm not minimizing that at all. What I am saying is that God is working in these circumstances. He, his mercy is poured out. His compassion is poured out. His love is poured out. He's using this to draw people to himself. He's using this to accomplish his purposes on this earth. It's the manifold wisdom of God at work. We don't always see the end of it. We rarely see the end of it. But when we get to a certain point we, and we have that, that, like I said, that aha moment in our own lives of saying, oh, that's what you're doing, Lord. I see now. I understand now. You and your infinite wisdom were doing things I had no concept of. That's where faith kicks in, guys. Not faith in faith, but faith in Christ. The object of our faith is all important. So because of this manifold wisdom, because of Paul recognizing it externally in his life through the circumstances he was in, internally in his life through the witness he had in his own heart, he was conforming his ministry to his circumstances. In other words, being in jail in Rome is not something that's interrupting my ministry. It is my ministry. He, he wasn't conforming his, uh, striving to conform his circumstances to his ministry. There's a difference there. What are your circumstances this morning? Are you accepting of those? It doesn't mean you have to like it, but it does mean that as you accept that which you're in, those circumstances within which you live, that you can actually be in a place of living above them. Hard, hard. And I'm not saying that all of us are there. I'm not there in 100% of circumstances. And yet, overall, as I mentioned, I have a settled peace in my heart that God is in control of this, that he's working in the midst of this. 
This isn't a surprise to him. This isn't something that's outside of what he's doing. His purposes are being worked out. The manifold wisdom of God is at work and we don't see the end of it yet. I caution people, don't try to assume that you have the answers to what God is doing in this. I don't believe that it's that time yet. We live in the last days. We don't live in the end times. There's a distinction there. We're in the last days. We may be bumping up against, and I pray we are, the end times. And yet, these are significant, profound circumstances that have come upon the entire earth. And we do well to draw close to our Father, to have divine perspective in them. That's the point. Verse 11, he says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, his eternal purposes are being worked out. The body of Christ, this eternal purpose that he had had in his mind from before the foundations of the earth was that this mystery would be revealed, that Jesus would come, he would go to that cross, that he would die for the sins of humanity, that you and I could freely come. Eternal purposes through the work of of the cross. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Boldness, the word boldness here is the word parisia. It it means to speak freely. It means freedom of speech. I I was fascinated when I did did a word study on this. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews 4.16. He says that we could boldly come before the throne of grace to find to find Uh, to obtain mercy and to find grace in time of need. It's that same boldness. It's the same word, parisia, there as Paul uses here in Ephesians. And what he's doing, he's saying we have bold, confident access through faith to God, and in this case, in prayer. He's beginning to round the bend with the comments that he's had now. Remember in verse one, he he begins to go down the road of praying and, and all of that. And now he's beginning to conclude the thoughts that he's had and he's getting back to talking about prayer. He's, uh, he's saying, therefore, in verse 13, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations, at my trouble for you. In other words, because of all I've been saying, that's what the therefore is, because I understand that this is not an interruption to my ministry, this is my ministry. Because I understand that my being, going through years, literally years of these, these people jockeying around and doing things in my life, when my freedom was gone, my life was interrupted, I understand that God's been at the helm of my life all along. I understand that the love of Christ is is being poured out through the ministry he's given me because that's the hope that I'm giving people. It's not going to be found in law. It's not going to be found in Judaism. It's not going to be found in anything other than Christ. That's why he says, therefore, don't lose heart. Understand that my circumstances, as I write to you, yeah, they may look tough on the outside and they were tough for him. These circumstances would eventually lead to his death. He would have his head removed by the emperor of Rome, Nero. But here, in these circumstances, being imprisoned but free enough to be able to write, to be able to witness, to be able to see people added to the family of God, he was fulfilling that which God had called him to do. Life interrupted. God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Paul's saying, don't lose heart, Ephesians. I'm right where God wants me. 
And I would say this morning, don't lose heart, church. We're right where God wants us. Understand his will for us may not look like our thoughts for our life. Understand that we're faced with some difficult circumstances and none of us would have signed up for this. And yet he's still in control. He's still at the helm. And if you don't know Christ this morning, perhaps you're at the effect of your circumstances. Perhaps you're living and you're feeling the stress. Again, I'm not minimizing any of that. As a matter of fact, when we go further in Ephesians 3 here, we're going to get into Paul's prayer next week and we'll see how much he depends on the Lord, how much he understands it's by the love of Christ that passes knowledge. We're going to see that it's by his mercies, it's by his compassion that we live through each day. So I'm not minimizing. But if you don't know Christ this morning, now's the time. I invite you to understand that when Jesus went to that cross, he did it for you. Is it personal? Yes, it's personal. Does he love you with a love that you're not going to understand the sight of heaven? Absolutely. It's simply a matter of turning. It's a matter of saying, I don't understand all of this stuff, but I do understand this for the first time maybe. I understand that Jesus loves me and that he went to that cross for me. It's personal. And if that's what you're doing, there's a prayer that goes something like this, Lord, I I know that I've lived my life away from you. Lord, I know that you're touching me, that you're calling me. I have this internal witness of your power working in me. There's something different. There's something shifting inside. And I turn from that old life and I embrace Jesus. If that's what you're doing, the Bible says to to turn and then to simply put the weight of your life down on him. Begin to trust him for the circumstances that you're in. There's a glorious release in that. Not only are you coming into a place where he will begin to flood your soul with understanding of the ways of his kingdom, but you're guaranteeing eternity in his presence in the same act. The days are sometimes confusing. The days are stressful. The days are certainly not what we would have looked at or expected or in our wildest dreams thought about only three months ago. And yet, That's what we're dealing with today. Give your life to Christ. You'll never look back. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word, for your divinely inspired word. Thank you, Lord, that you have accomplished these things on our behalf, that while we were helpless, Christ died for us. Lord, that that while we were caught up in our sin, that while we were living away from you, that, that Jesus went to that cross, and wore our sin. And so, Father, I pray for each of us that you would give us a heavenly, give us a divine perspective on these things, that our lives have been interrupted, and yet, Lord, we know that we can live in such a manner that we're not looking at these things as being something that's apart from what you want to do in our lives, but that we could truly see that this is what you're doing in our lives 
that we would cooperate with the work of your Holy Spirit, that we would be filled with inexpressible joy, not because of our circumstances, but because of our love for you, because of our life that is hidden in you. I pray for each one this morning, Lord, that may be struggling, that's wrestling these things out. I know many of us are, and I pray, Father, that your encouragement would come. We commit ourselves afresh to you, Jesus. We pray that your will would be accomplished in us and through us in these remarkable days.